Hello, I'm Paul Eaton, and this is In-Depth Commercial Real Estate. This show is an open exploration of the people, ideas, and methods behind commercial real estate. Today's guest is Amy Wan. Amy is founder and CEO of Bootstrap Legal, which automates real estate syndication legal documents. Amy is also co-founder and CEO of SageWise, a legal tech blockchain company. She hosts the Law and Blockchain podcast and has authored the Bloomberg Law Practice Guide to ICOs and LexisNexis Private Equity Practice Guide. Amy, thanks a lot for coming on the episode. I really appreciate it. To start out, can you tell me how you found yourself in real estate? Yeah. Well, you know, early on in my career, I was working for the federal government in D.C. And for personal reasons, because my husband matched for residency back in California, I moved back to the West Coast, which is where I'm originally from. But of course, there's not much international trade or policy that happens out here on the West Coast. And so I became general counsel at a very early stage real estate crowdfunding startup. And that's really where I got my teeth wet in real estate, private lending, syndications, securities law. And uh, it's been a ride ever since. I love it. I think that you host a podcast with the ABA about blockchain. Is that right? Yes, it's a limited series and it has, I would say, a much more legal bent than I think other blockchain podcasts. Uh, we specifically go and interview legal counsel or in-house counsel of large blockchain companies or people who have some sort of particular expertise on the legal aspect of blockchain. Speaking of blockchain, what are your thoughts about blockchain and title insurance or title records in general? Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. It's certainly a very interesting concept. And I think in the perfect world, it would be something that we are actively rolling out. Unfortunately, I think it's a very, very hard concept to actually deploy in the United States, just because we have this incumbent title insurance industry. And, you know, the way title is handled, it's county by county, you literally have you know, some county agencies where they don't, it's not even electronic. It's literally, you know, just a basement full of record files. And if a fire comes, it's all destroyed. Like that's how antiquated, but also, you know, disorganized the title industry is, right? And there's so many different players. And so there were and have been startups that have tried to deploy you know, real estate title for blockchain in the United States. There's even been, you know, a pilot project or two specifically in Cook County in um, Illinois. But, you know, many of the experts think that to the extent real estate title and title insurance ends up being deployed on blockchain, it will be in developing countries where there's no incumbent title industry. I think path dependence, you know, things are because they always have been is has some such inertia that it, I think a new field, a new green field somewhere in developing country would work better. And also I would have guessed that the incumbents have some political capital to stop change that would be against their interest. So, but I would love to see some innovation in um, the title industry because it could be sometimes quite painful. Definitely. <laughs> You've also talked about the tokenization of real estate. Right. And that actually is happening right now. It tends to happen more abroad than locally in the United States. You know, certainly there have been real estate transactions using cryptocurrency. When we talk about the tokenization of real estate, 
it can mean a couple different things, right? So it could mean you are taking one property and creating a lot of different tokens or ownership interests of that property and giving it to, say, a lot of different investors. I believe there was one Reg A Plus offering that did this back at the you know infancy of the security token industry. I think that was the Four Seasons Aspen, I think. And then what is becoming more popular now is people are, you know, private fund managers are going ahead, creating, you know, very traditional real estate funds where they will raise a certain amount of capital, right? They'll go and deploy that capital to acquire a lot of different real estate assets. And they will take investment dollars for their fund, but the investor not only gets you know, perhaps, you know, their their signed paper subscription agreement, but they also get what's called a security token on the blockchain that proves their ownership interests. Now, it doesn't move the same way as, for example, cryptocurrency, like cryptocurrency, if I send you some today, and you get hacked and someone takes it from you, well, that's more like bearer bonds, it's whoever has it owns it. Whereas in the security token industry, it is much more regulated. And even if there is a hack, you know, a transfer agent or custodian is still going to have a record of who was last owner. So it will be transferred back to the rightful owner. What would be the advantages? I think the startup cost for a blockchain enabled syndication deal is about the same, if not more, probably more at this point (laughs) due to the newness of this process. What are the advantages on the back end? Right. So you talked about price and you talked about advantages. I'll talk about price first. So it is more expensive, but it depends on how you do it. Right. Generally in legal, anything that is novel is going to be expensive. The cheapest way to tokenize a real estate fund is to go ahead and do a traditional real estate fund, but build in the possibility when you're doing the PPM that it can be tokenized one day. So you do everything as you normally would. And then once you actually raise the capital, then at a later point in the life cycle of the fund, that's when you go and you start issuing tokens and things of that sort. And that's especially to the extent that you want to, for example, do a Reg A plus fund. It has to get qualified by the SEC. It is much more expensive to tokenize outright, I will say. The primary advantage of tokenizing a real estate fund or any fund for that matter is that, you know, most of the funds that you and I know of, they're private funds, right? They they were conducted using a private placement exemption, right? Everyone knows 506B, 506C. I'm not talking right now about like publicly traded REITs or anything. So, you know, when you look at your traditional your your standard PPM for one of these private placement offerings, it says, hey, I'm going to buy this value add multifamily and it's going to be, you know, five to seven year hold period. And the first 12 months due to securities laws, you absolutely cannot transfer your interest to anyone. Um, after 12 months, technically you can, you have to get the, the fund manager's approval, but there is no liquid market. Right. And the reason why there's no liquid market is because there is a lot of compliance and paperwork that has to go into actually making a transfer. The beauty about security tokens is that it provides an avenue for much faster liquidity 
even if you have a private fund without going on, you know, having to go public on the stock market or anything like that. So theoretically, you can have, you know, alternative trading systems. They're not, they're not exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange, but they're alternative trading systems. And there's already ones up there, right? There's open finance, there's the one by T0. These are, you know, regulated alternative trading systems where people can basically buy and sell their security interests. And the way the technology works is such that instead of, you know, hey, I invest $50,000 in this real estate fund, I have some medical bills I really need to pay, let me sell them to you, Paul, and let's get a middleman broker involved to help us make that match. And they're going to charge five figures in compliance fees, which at that point, it's like, well, if it's a $50,000 investment, what's the point? You know, blockchain basically helps streamline a lot of that compliance so it can be done more rapidly. That So you can find, you know, someone who wants to purchase that interest from you, right? So the whole idea is, hey, instead of my having to hold onto this forever or spending five figures to get a middleman involved to the extent I want to make a transfer or going public, we can do this a lot faster, easier, cheaper. When you tokenize real estate, one of the advantages of, say, Bitcoin is that there are thousands upon thousands of record-keeping entities. I forgot the what's the um, term? Notes. The, well, the record-keeping document that is used, everyone has that, and so it's right. written every there's a transaction. It's written into the uh, into the code. So using blockchain for a real estate deal, there may only be. 10, 15, 20 possibly records, as opposed to in Bitcoin, hundreds of millions of records that would follow that. So it's more robust if the system goes down. Does that, do you see my point? So, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain in particular has nodes worldwide, but there are different types of blockchain. And remember, like, I don't want people to get too hung up on the blockchain part because the blockchain part, it's just technology. It's, mm-hmm. you know, a more advanced database, right? To some extent, a more inefficient database, right? Right. There are public blockchains, there are private blockchains, there are permissioned blockchains. So there's many different types of the same technology. And so, you know, obviously there is a vetting process of, well, which technology is going to be, you know, most suitable for my needs, right? But that's a that's a technology question. As far as records, as in the number of interest holders, that's a different story, right? Because the idea is that, you know, let's say today I started a very large real estate fund and I brought in a hundred investors. Well, if those investors are able to get liquidity a lot faster, that's something they might do. And so it might not be a one-to-one transfer. It might be one investor who bought a million dollars of interest, selling it off in pieces to, you know, 50 other people. And so you theoretically can have a lot of owners on the cap table. And normally I think that would be very difficult for a regular fund manager, a more traditional fund manager to manage. But with blockchain, it, you know, theoretically it is much more difficult. And and we have had clients who, 
you know, it's not even like they raised a huge amount. I can think of one fund that raised 12 million and they have hundreds of investors, right? Because they had wow. low minimums. So it's it definitely opens the door to that. If you're a regular fund manager and let's say you're raising $10 million, you're not going to want hundreds or thousands of people normally, right? Just that'd be crazy. The last thing I want is more, <laughs> in, but yeah, a fractional, small fractional shares of equity holders. How about blockchain and crowdfunding? There's been a huge increase in crowdfunding sites. It's growing rapidly. Do you see a nexus between blockchain and crowdfunding? Right. Yeah. So, you know, the crowdfunding industry, I would say, is a little bit more it's a little older, it's a bit more mature mm-hmm. in how it operates than the maybe the blockchain crypto industry. Certainly it's much more regulated, right? Right. But you know, with the advent of regulation crowdfunding, which, you know, now under the changes to the rule, you can raise five million, not just one million a year. Um, you've got Reg A plus where you can raise up to 75 million, and you still have, you know, the various reg D ex- exemptions. All of those, you know, I think basically, you know, you can, and many people do every day, raise capital under those exemptions without blockchain. And that's perfectly fine. You know, I I do think that there is a growing interest in pairing it with blockchain. It's just that once again, depending on what exemption you're using, right? If you're doing something where you want to get qualification by the SEC, you're definitely going to want to take a more conservative approach and not just tokenize everything outright because the SEC is still, they're still, I don't want to say learning, but this is very new for them. You're also involved in Bootstrap Legal. Yeah. So Bootstrap Legal is a much more, I mean, I guess compared to blockchain, it's a much more traditional <laughs> thing that you know your listeners will probably know about. Although there's certainly still a technology aspect. You know, I'm a real estate syndication attorney, and you know, for several years, you know, it was always the same story. It was clients call you at 4:30 on Friday, and they're like, "I need my documents Monday, right?" And so there's always weekend drafting. I just felt like there was a lot of repetitive work in drafting certain documents. And also, you know, there there are things that technology provides, you know, certain efficiencies that, um, you know, the traditional practice of law hasn't really adopted. So what I did a couple years ago is I cobbled together some code. And so now we have a system that, you know, basically automates the first draft of uh, real estate syndication offerings. Everything is always reviewed by an attorney. And of course, you know, these are machines. So you cannot have something perfectly drafted by a machine that would be certainly too expensive on the technology side. And, you know, every offering is always has a different flavor to it, right? But at least by automating the first draft, we're actually able to get offering documents out to clients much faster and actually cheaper than your traditional real estate syndication law firm. So, you know, from the time that we start drafting the first draft, it's three business days, which is unheard of in the industry. That's really, really fast. Yeah. I know that in real estate syndication, time is of the essence, right? And Mm. when you have a warm investor on the line, you want to close them as soon as possible. So making them wait a week or weeks for their legal documents often is not ideal, right? 
you know, our overall process still does take more than three business days just because people need to review the documents. And then there's usually some back and forth, especially if there are changes, but you know, it cuts down on attorney time. It cuts down on mistakes. It cuts down on, you know, clients having to wait. And so I think that people are just much happier. Well, thank you very much. I've really appreciated coming on the show and talking about blockchain, bootstrap, legal, and crowdfunding. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. And I'll put your contact information in your show notes. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of In-Depth Commercial Real Estate. 